Hello and welcome into another episode of the Esports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters. As always, I'm your host, Mitch Reams, and today we're talking to Todd Citrit. He's the Senior VP and General Manager of EA's Competitive Gaming Division. Todd, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me. We are going to be talking sports simulations, all the traditional athletes playing esports during the pandemic, and how EA is shifting its focus from pure competitive events to more entertainment-based broadcast after seeing massive popularity across some of those recent shows. EA is one of the companies of gaming that certainly doesn't need an introduction. I imagine most of our listeners likely have opinions. EA, it's in the game, is one of the most recognizable voice lines in all of gaming. Todd, while people likely know a lot about the company, what's something that you think most people don't know about EA that you wish they did? Oh, boy. Um, I think uh, a lot of people make the assumption that, uh, um, you know, that EA maybe isn't made up as, uh, uh, as as many gamers as there really are. Um, it's a highly passionate group of people that love to play games. Um, that's how I got into the industry and how I got to this company. Um, and I think we are all gamers ourselves and we're trying our very best to um, make games that people enjoy. And in my particular role, try to make uh, broadcast and events that people enjoy to, to watch. Absolutely. I have so many fond memories of playing EA games over the history. FIFA and Madden being big key ones, of course, but also Apex Legends, some of the more recent things, you know, all over that history, EA's created so many titles. And I think most gamers really like it, even if public discourse is not always the most favorable. I don't listen to public social media discourse or Reddit, especially ever at this point. Uh, but I'm focusing in on the pandemic. It's been a really interesting time, especially for sports sims and for EA, as we've had all sports go on hiatus for the first time. Uh, in the world, you used to be able to set your clock by the traditional sports schedule. And with everything on hiatus, there was just a ton of opportunities for interesting things. And we just saw athletes playing video games over and over. It was athletes playing either games uh, that model the sports they play in real life or other games, other celebrity invitationals. While the pandemic has hit everyone differently, and we're always cautious to frame it as the pandemic has been not been a positive for anybody or anything, just to be clear. But in the gaming world, from your role of EA, what have you seen during the time that has surprised you, especially around all the athletes playing video games, all the momentum behind gaming? Yeah, it's been obviously a really unusual uh, time and, and environment. Um, you know, I really believe that you know, companies like EA had played a really great role in giving people a, a chance to escape what's going on, uh, to, to get a break from that, um, have allowed people to uh, socialize with others, um, which you obviously do through gaming as well as, you know, through esports, um, to, to allow them to, to have outlets for creativity. And I think uh, certainly that's, I think, a pretty welcome thing in, in today's world uh, that, that a lot of people have, have, have really needed. And so I can tell you that, you know, my team uh, have worked really, really hard during this time period because we feel like there's some good that's coming out of this in terms of just helping um, maybe, you know, uh, unite people through, through, through the playing of games. So 
it's a really important thing for for us, I think, of what's motivating us to, to, to do what we're doing. Um, all of a sudden, you know, broadcasters around the world, whether they were digital or on television, no longer had uh, the type of content that they normally had, right? Because the sports leagues had shut down. Um, Hollywood, London, Paris, New York, all these places that produce a lot of content, um, they were all shut down. And, uh, and so there's a vacuum really of content. And I think EA and many others kind of stepped in and said, well, we have the ability to give you really entertaining um, content. And, and so we did. And so there was just a huge acceleration in reaching, you know, more people through greater distribution um, and getting to a to to a larger audience. Uh, and then, as you just mentioned, you know, the availability of celebrities. Um, celebrities were out of work too. People that were known for things other than playing games had availability of their time, and uh, and so we started, you know, uh, redefining what what really competitive gaming entertainment can be. And we started doing things like, you know, the FIFA Play Stay and Play Cup, which had, you know, a knockout tournament that brought together 20 of the most historic leagues across Europe. And we had professional footballers from really, you know, high profile clubs like Chelsea and Liverpool and Real Madrid, you know, those types of, uh, of uh, uh, football clubs. And as a result of having that kind of you know, available distribution that was broadcast over a hundred plus countries worldwide. And, you know, here in, in the United States, um, you know, 3.8 million people watched it, uh, that tournament on, you know, on ESPN. So just a huge, you know, huge kind of acceleration to the, to the, to the mainstream. Definitely. It was the first time, as far as I can recollect that, Esports on broadcast TV saw massive success. There's been plenty of esports on broadcast TV over the years. I remember dating all the way back to the Madden bus in the back when I was like in early high school, where it traveled around the country and NFL players would play gamers on this traveling bus that used to air on on ESPN in the middle of the week all the time. And I remember watching those broadcasts and be like, wow, this is really cool. I love that this is a thing that exists. And this pandemic felt like a, like you said, this massive adoption of esports at these competitive games, these accessible competitive esports by a mainstream audience of people that in the past would never have watched it. But without sports on TV, esports became the simplest filler of that time. It was a really cool trend to see because I think that was something that esports has needed for a long time is how do we appeal to the mainstream audience? And maybe it took uh, having these celebrities, having these athletes play games to get people into the games themselves. I, at least I think that's how this is going to play out where they see the games and they're like, oh, okay, I get why this is competitive. I get why people enjoy watching this. And that's a hurdle esports has faced for a really long yeah, time. I mean, I, I, my take is, you know, I, I didn't, I started working on esports about four and a half years ago when we created, uh, you know, the team at EA. And um, prior to that, obviously, I'm a huge gamer myself and, and been working pretty much in the video game business for most of my, you know, business career. And, um, but I didn't really have a connection to, to esports when I started. Um, and what I've looked at has been a, 
you know, an industry that has had a lot of great success, um, but it has primarily been viewed by, um, you know, the core audience who plays the games that they're watching. And the games that were have been popular, you know, things like Dota 2 and League of Legends and, you know, Counter-Strike Go are sort of the, you know, the biggest titles, um, you know, they they were still speaking to, um, you know, their player audiences. And, you know, what we've been focused on is not only speaking to the player audiences, for instance, like a game like FIFA, which is played by you know, tens of millions of people. It's one of the most popular games in the world. But to try to speak to people who maybe are just fans of entertainment or fans of sport, which obviously is a much, much bigger, as I was saying, 3.5 billion you know, football fans in the world. Um, that's, a, that's a large audience that no one's really been able to tackle. And, and I think that's what we've been you know, trying to do. So, um, you know, we, we saw it immediately. I mean, we had already made an investment in, in television. We, over the last several years, we had, um, you know, partnered with the CW here in, in, uh, here in the U.S. And we'd worked with ESPN um, and, and we'd worked with, you know, Turner. And we'd had these relationships already established and we had a track record of putting, you know, things on air. But to your point, it just kind of exploded um, as a result of, of, of the situation that was going on. And so, um, you know, we saw from April through July of this year, the broadcast hours that we were getting on, on television uh, were up, you know, 85% over all of last year for us in just that short period of time. So it's just a huge you know, we had, I think, you know, ESPN, ESPN2, we've continually had, you know, blocks of time, five hours straight of, you know, Madden or uh, FIFA, esports, um, you know, Apex, et cetera. And yeah, that's an unusual circumstance. But what it's done is it's, it's made the audience bigger. How many more people have become aware of esports uh, in the last, you know, five months than than clearly were ever aware uh, of what was going on. It definitely is such a unique situation. And that's what makes it so interesting to think about what we take out of this. And I know this is something that EA is thinking about when the whole world changes. I think it's very safe to say that things have changed over the last six months. We've all been dealing with it in whatever way you want to choose it creates situations, and it's something that's happened in Las Vegas, where I'm based as well. Esports betting was a, a joke, kind of, before I went into Caesars in February, asked them about, hey, are you guys taking esports bet? The guy laughed at me. He was like, no, we're not going to do that. Now they're taking almost every major book is taking esports events. The Nevada Gaming Control Board has approved esports competitions. It's created a lasting impact that's going to outpace even... Uh, once the pandemic is over, now sports are back on, they're still going to be offering esports lives. There's still a level of, of adoption that comes from this. What lessons has EA taken from this really unique period in life? The the massive popularity, all these athletes playing games. What lessons can EA take from what's happened over the last few months that applies back when we return to a normal world, whatever that yeah, looks Yeah, I mean, like? the way I would describe it, Mitch, is um, 
there's just been a tectonic shift in the esports landscape that started in mid-March and has continued till now. Um, and that shift has opened up audiences, opened up distribution, has opened up um, a lot for for esports industry. And you know, EA has has obviously been a, a leader in that regard, primarily because it aligned, like I said, with what our strategy was from the very beginning, four and a half years ago, um, and the type of games that we have built around, which have been these ex accessible games. Um, I don't believe that even after, and I hope soon we get back to, you know, a, a, a normal that looks like, you know, prior to March for the world. But when we get back to that, uh, things have, have changed and in, in, in this industry. Audiences have been exposed to what we're doing, and there's a lot of interest. You you mentioned one in, in Vegas. Uh, broadcasters, um, you know, those that had stuck their toe into the water prior to the pandemic have now, you know, clearly walked in to the into the water pretty deeply uh, over the last, you know, five months. And uh, while I would fully expect that. Um, you know, viewership will will drop as for esports as these other forms of entertainment kind of come back. You know, traditional sports, other forms of, of broadcast entertainment. Um, they're not going to go back to to where they were pre pre COVID. They're going to stay at a higher level, and um, and broadcasters understand that, and that's why they're starting to add more and more content. And I I think they will continue that. Um, you know, we developed technology as a result of the pandemic that we would never have created that is now going to change how we do broadcast, you know, post the pandemic. Um, we had always, you know, we built a studio in in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area and, you know, we would fly people in and we would shoot a lot of our stuff there. Well, middle of March, we had to shut that down and no one's been in that, uh, in that facility since the middle of March. Um, and so we had to figure out a way to continue broadcasting without bringing people into a location. Um, and this was more than just competitors. We decided that the right thing to do was not to do esports unless we could have everyone participating in a broadcast and a competition be doing it from home. So that's the competitors, that's the on-air talent, and that's all the production staff. Well, that didn't exist when we made that decision. So until we had a technological decision or a, sorry, solution, we were going to not be doing anything in EA. And I'm really proud of the fact that a lot of really smart people put together a whole bunch of different technologies. And to our knowledge, we actually created the first kind of fully cloud-based broadcast um, you know, platform. And we got back on the air towards the end of March. Um, and now when you look at our broadcast, I mean, they are, are so good. And yet everyone is still 100% working individually from their own homes. So what does this mean post-pandemic? Well, in the past, 
you know, when we would have celebrities, maybe we'd want them to, to do a competition, you know, we had a pretty big ask for them, right? You'd have to fly to a location. We'd ask you to be at that location for the full day. Then you'd have to fly out. It's a pretty big, you know, ask uh, for people who don't have, you know, a lot of time. Uh, now, because of the technology that I just described, this fully cloud-based broadcast platform, now we can say to celebrities post-pandemic, hey, you know, you want to be in a competition? You don't have to do anything other than give us a half an hour of your time from your own home. And we have now figured out how to make that look, you know, a seamless professional broadcast. And so that just means that, again, we would never have created that technology had we not been forced to. But now that we do have it, it's going to open up what things are going to look like after, you know, the pandemic is is behind us. It's going to change quite a few things. There's a, there's quite a few companies that are not returning to any sort of functional office anymore. And I, yeah, I think there's, I think Shopify is one of the most notable examples, but quite a few companies who, like you mentioned, are all working online and are like, wait, did we all have to be in the same office? Did we all have to be commuting into the exact same location every time to do our work? Or is there actually ways to do these other things? And it takes something like a pandemic to make you re-examine all the habits and the things we've developed over years to be like, wait a second, do we do we need everybody to be in the same broadcast studio? Or can we actually have more options, bring more people in by connecting through them via satellite, bringing them into their feed? Like you said, you don't have to take a flight all the way to San Francisco, which allows you to bring in whoever you want, bring in more celebrities, make it easier, make it an easier process on everybody. So it's quite an interesting circumstance and how this pandemic will change the world is still up for debate, uh, but it's definitely going to create some changes. Like you said, I'm hoping for as close to the normalcy we had last February as possible, but who knows at this point. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about sports simulations. It's something that I think it's the first thing that people think of when they think of EA. Now it's a studio that has plenty of other games. You mentioned Apex and some of the other games they've had over the times, but you know, Madden, FIFA, those are the titles people think of when they hear EA. And you've, we've talked about some of the unique aspects of sports simulations, especially in comparison to other esports. They have that unique set of benefits so that everybody understands how soccer works generally. People understand how football works or even uh, to the competitors, how basketball works or how NHL works. It's all very understandable. But they also have that unique challenge in that there is a real life competitor to watching these events. That's why the athlete-based competitions have been so interesting because it blends those two worlds really interesting. What role do you think sports sims like FIFA and Madden end up playing in the wider esports ecosystem? You can never watch people play League of Legends in real life. You can't watch people play Rocket League and drive cars and fly off the ceiling in real life. So what niche can sports simulations settle into in the wider esports world? Yeah, I guess I my point of view is it's not going to be the niche. I think it's going to be the other way around. I think the traditional esports are going to be the niche. And the reason for that is kind of what I said earlier. Um, the viewer base of a game like Rocket League or a game like Dota 2 is made up of the player base of those games. The viewer base of a uh, esport based on, you know, uh, FIFA or based upon Madden 
um, has a much bigger available audience. And, um, and so again, if you want to get to mainstream and you know, my definition of mainstream entertainment is, is uh, a form of entertainment where you don't have to be a player in order to want to watch. If we think about all the really truly great entertainment broad experiences, um, you know, it takes something like the Super Bowl. You know, what percentage of the people that watch the Super Bowl have actually ever put on um, pads and played tackle football? Uh, pretty small number. So, uh, esports industry is very much still in its infancy. It's it's very early, um, and I think the opportunity is that there will be audiences for both, you know, types of experiences. Um, but EA is successful because as a whole, we've had prop products and games that just appeal to a much wider audience. Um, you take something like The Sims, right? In the traditional, what I'll call, if you want to say it, the, the niche of, you know, the hardcore audience. Um, that's a game that people don't get and don't understand. Um, I believe we just passed 40 million players on the Sims 4. Um, that's a lot of people who are playing the game, but they just they choose to play that rather than playing, you know, uh, Overwatch. So I, I just think it's a different audience. Um, there's clearly overlap because I play core games and I also play um, sports simulations. But there's also a very large audience that sports sims can get to that uh, I think traditional uh, games aren't going to be able ever to get to it. So um, that's, I think, a unique position. As for the whole question, and I've heard it really since the start of my job working on esports four and a half years ago, which is, you know, why does anybody want to watch, you know, uh, a Madden competition when they can watch the NFL? or watch FIFA or NHL, et cetera. And the reason is, is that sports, traditional sports or esports, it's, uh, it's all about storytelling. The reason we watch is because we have an emotional connection to either a team or to players. Um, and the way you can know this is that, you know, if you are watching television or you're presented online with access to a lot of, let's say, NFL games. And um, as you're flipping through the games, you see a set of games that are teams that you don't follow, teams where you don't know the players, um, teams that are not very good and, you know, uh, have awful records. Um, you know, how many people watch those games versus when – somebody's going for a record. It's your team that you have an emotional connection to um, until there's something that makes it interesting. It's a lot more than just throwing the ball, running the ball, tackling the ball. It's actually because you have, you watch because of that connection. And so it's the same reason why, you know, why do you watch Survivor? or Why do you watch, uh, you know, uh, any of these other competition shows, it's because if you do the storytelling right, if you get people hooked emotionally, you know, it's amazing what people, competitions people will watch um, 
as a result. And so that's our biggest challenge. And I think it's anybody's challenge in entertainment, which is to get you to be connected emotionally to the people that are playing and are competing. If you can do that, then it doesn't matter really, to tell you the truth, what the, the actual game is. And I, you know, I always tell people one of the great, you know, examples of this is think about the Olympics. You know, Mitch, how many, how much time do you spend outside the Olympics watching, you know, curling, bobsledding, rhythmic gymnastics? But when the Olympics comes around, you know, hundreds of millions of people around the world get sucked in through the obviously the, the national angle rooting for your country and you know all those player profile pieces give people a reason to watch and that's kind of what we have to do yeah i'm interested in learning more about that getting people to watch because it's great to talk about how big the potential audience is 3.5 billion football fans out there who might be interested in watching fifa but ultimately if you pull up twitch right now FIFA is the 24th most watched game with 13,000 hours watched. So how do you actually make sure that, okay, we have this massive audience base. We need to create these emotional connections to make them do that. How do you make sure that you create those emotional connections? You make there be reasons for the casual football fan to watch that instead of watching Premier League football or any of the uh, myriad of different football options they have around the world. How do you make sure that FIFA 20 or whatever FIFA title it is at the time is what they're choosing to watch as a casual football? Yeah, fan? great question. Uh, first of all, what I'd say is that, um, you know, the distribution for any of our content uh, can be different and it will be different than, again, the hardcore audience that's going to watch, you know, uh, going to watch League of Legends, et cetera, will go to, for instance, Twitch. So part of our distribution is the fact that we can end up, as I was mentioning, you know, we broadcast in over 100 different countries for the FIFA Stay and Play Cup, as well as Twitch. So just looking at one data point, I think I would caution is probably not the right way to look at it. You should look at the, at I think all the distribution in trying to make decisions. What I will say is that EA with our sports titles, um, we are heavily aligned with powerhouses in terms of leagues and teams. I'm speaking about traditional sports leagues and the franchises that you know are within those leagues. They, um, as a whole, the reason they're so involved and the reason they're going to get even more involved is that the traditional sports audiences are aging up. And, you know, as we know, the average esports viewer is in their mid-20s. And so the sports leagues themselves, and again, all of the other people that are affiliated with those sports leagues, sponsors, um, teams, broadcasters, they all can see what's happening with traditional sports. And that's why I think they already have invested a, a lot behind what we're doing with esports. Um, because we can introduce, you know, the next generation of traditional sports fans by bringing in through the esports side. And so when you, you know, when you think about, um, like, how does somebody make a esports broadcast popular? 
let's take something like a Call of Duty or Overwatch League. That's got to be done completely on the backs of the publisher of those games. There's nobody else that is pushing that agenda other than really the the publisher, maybe some of the esports teams that are affiliated with that. You look at what we're doing, and you have EA, which obviously very sizable, um, pushing. But now you also have the Premier League, La Liga, Bundesliga, NFL, NHL, and all the teams and all those sponsors that are already wrapped up into all those leagues and the broadcasters, and they're saying, we see the strategic value now, you know, we can all push in that same direction. And so I think as it matures, you're going to see more of that, and there'll just be more people bringing this to a larger audience because it is the connection to the real world, which they want to continue, but now with an esports execution. Yeah, it was that tread was actually what pushed me into the esports industry. Coming out of school with a degree in sports broadcasting, I saw in the span of what felt like one year, every single major American sports league embrace its esports counterparts the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, and the MLS. Uh, and then maybe not the MLB. I, I don't know what the MLB is doing, to be honest with you. But uh, those four all embraced esports. I was like, oh, okay, there's a big crossover. It's not just me choosing esports or sports. I was a big gamer at the time, but I saw that crossover happening. And it's been really interesting to see over the last few years. From your perspective, somebody who works at EA, and I want to wrap up the show a little bit, be conscious of your time. I know it's getting late on Friday or on Monday afternoon for you. But the final question I wanted to ask you is, as we, uh, as those partnerships have taken form and they've been here for two to three years now, how are you seeing expanded relationships? Now, EA has always worked with uh, the licensing departments of these these places, the athletes themselves. They've always been mad about what their Madden rating is, whatever it comes out, demanding they, they'd be higher at whatever stat they're overall. Uh, how could the leagues and EA work together to make sure that these competitive leagues are as best they can be and are reaching that wide-ranging audience. Because like you mentioned, I, and I will agree, it's not fair to judge sports sims purely based on Twitch metrics. There still is uh, some level of popularity that needs to be reached with games like Madden for how long they've been around at the place they hold at esports. How could you really make sure that those partnerships with leagues are strong enough to give people the reasons they should be watching these games over and over again, whenever there's a major Madden competition, a Madden club championship, something like that. How are you making sure that, okay, we can work with the league to not take away from what the competition is, but add to it through these esports events? Yeah, I mean, I can tell you, I've been working with um, the sports leagues for, you know, uh, two decades now. And um, I've, especially in the last year, even pre-COVID, but certainly since uh, the pandemic started, there has been more focus and more attention uh, to esports of late than I've ever seen before. Um, and it comes in two forms. One is is really, um, you know, how to bring their resources uh, to the table in terms of operational resources, but also their 
brand and their marketing resources. Um, you know, you think about these leagues that I'm talking about and, you know, some of these uh, teams and leagues, you know, we're, we're now third generation, fourth generation of fans. And we spent a lot of time with the leagues talking about how to unlock, you know, that power. And I think we are just at the beginning of it. To your point, um, you know, uh, sometimes these larger organizations uh, take a little bit of time to understand the opportunity. And I think maybe in some ways, the type of response that we've seen uh, to esports that they've seen in esports over you know the last six months um, has probably put you know more support and more energy behind how do we make this bigger. But I can tell you that uh, uh, it's the amount of support and the desire uh, of these organizations to work with us has never been higher. Um, and I think over the next you know, year to two years, you will see uh, sports simulation, esports uh, games uh, become even more popular than they already have been. I'm certainly excited for the future. I've always been a fan of sports sim just because I'm a sports guy growing up and nothing better than actually controlling the players that you're watching every weekend thank you todd for coming on this episode of the esports network podcast i want to give you one final chance to plug ea i'm sure everybody knows about the company knows where to follow you but what should they be looking at what broadcast do you guys have coming up uh what new trends what new events do you think people should be on the lookout for yeah i mean right now ea has uh more uh titles that we are supporting uh, with esports than i believe any other publisher in the world so um, we have our FIFA uh, HD product on the console. We have Madden, as we've been talking about. Uh, we have Apex Legends, uh, which right now is in their summer circuit, um, wrapping that up. Uh, we have FIFA Online 4. I don't know if people in Asia will be listening to this, uh, Mitch, but uh, that's a free-to-play game uh, just in Asia which we built an ecosystem around. And then obviously most recently the Sim Spark. So five different investments, um, you know, uh, look on YouTube, look on Twitch, uh, but also look through television all around the world. There's a lot of competitions and hopefully there's a little bit of something for everybody uh, cutting across what I'll call a more core game in Apex Legends uh, to the sports Sims, uh, and then, you know, something very different would be something like The, the Sims. Um, I hope what you'll continue to see from EA is uh, innovation and not being happy with the status quo um, and trying to redefine uh, after, you know, essentially 21 years of the esports industry, which is I think, the length of the industry. The industry has pretty much played out of the same playbook for all 21 years. Uh, we think there's a big opportunity uh, to play and write a new playbook. Uh, and that means new formats, uh, new games, uh, new distribution channels. And uh, we're quite used to a lot of people that are very much part of esports history to tell us we're crazy. Um, but that's what they said when we started four years ago. And there's 
we've gotten a lot further than I think anybody would have given us credit for. So a lot more to come. Absolutely. Todd, thanks for coming on the show. It was great talking to you. To our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this look with Todd Citrin, Senior VP and General Manager of EA's Competitive Gaming Division about all things sports sims, how the pandemic has changed esports. Uh, we're still trying to figure out, but it's definitely changed a lot of things. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Stay on the lookout for some more great episodes. We have a bunch of guests lined up for you this week and the next one. So I hope you enjoyed this one and be on the lookout for some more great episodes coming up soon.